0: Luke chapter 16, verse number 19, a handful of verses in your reading. Jesus said this, there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, the gate of the rich man. The beggar named Lazarus was full of sores, desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Jesus said it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes. He was in torment. And he saw Abraham far off. He saw Lazarus resting there. And the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. You can hear a hundred sermons from this pulpit and not come across this one. And I'm a little uncomfortable but I have to preach what the Lord gives me and it's for all of our help. So if this is your first time in your new life, just know that um, we preach grace and mercy and love and tenderness and restoration and hope and joy and praise and dance. But I have to deliver this word to you. I'm going to answer the question tonight. What's better than hell? And I pray, Father, that you'd help me that your anointing would rest upon me that the glory of God would overshadow us help us to captivate every thought and intent of our heart to be focused on you right now in Jesus name I rebuke the devourer I rebuke the enemy and every foul thing that would interrupt this moment and I pray in the name of Jesus put a hedge of protection around the body right now in Jesus name all the people that are here and let them receive the word with all readiness of mind and know that this is your word for our lives tonight, today. In Jesus name, everybody said amen. When you are seated, would you just clap your hands into the Lord because he's a good God. Come on, just clap your hands into the Lord and while you're seated, would you just call out praises to him? You're great, mighty, mighty is your name. A snap of my finger. The stillness of that snap, the quickness of it. Barely noticeable to those a few feet away, unless amplified. You wouldn't even know. It's a quick thing. There's no preparation for that moment. Irrespective of age or personalities, the prophets of the Bible were called to speak of things that they were not privy to, except God gave them the word. And the words that the prophets often spoke were not pleasant to hear, notwithstanding the reaction of their audience. They were commissioned by the Lord to make a clear sound about righteous living, separation from the heathen, holiness. It wasn't up to the apostles or the prophets as to what they were to speak. It was God's word to them for the people. And tonight I am a messenger of something far greater than me. I'm also commissioned by the scripture to deliver all of God's word to those who have ears to hear. God inspired Paul to write it and it gives me comfort. Paul said, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So to leave out this subject tonight would be to our detriment and it would be to my disobedience. In the New Testament, Jesus will teach by a common method. We know his method as parables. Those who hear him speak in those moments were often confounded by his teaching, the parables. In some ways, they're mystical. They're elusive. The Pharisees themselves leave his presence befuddled time and again, always trying to understand the underlying message of the Lord. Even among the disciples, there are lingering questions about his parables, his teachings, the analogies, and the myriad of likenesses. Unless the Lord explicitly tells them the meaning, they are left with the same uneasiness of ignorance concerning his wisdom. They just can't figure it out. Sometimes the Lord will begin a lesson to a multitude of people by saying, The kingdom of God is likened to a sower. Or the kingdom of heaven is like to a man that is a householder. Bible writers will often preface a story of the Lord by saying, and he put forth another parable. This way, we know that the following words will be examples and not real stories. They are likenesses and analogies. But when Jesus spoke in Luke 16, the scriptures I read to you, he did not address his words in allegorical form. They were not didactic or judicial. It wasn't a parable. Jesus simply said, there was a rich man, and it's a real story. The rich man had fine clothes. Notice the description. And he ate the best of foods every day. Because in that day, no one but a rich man could eat the finest of food. Then Jesus said, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, he called him by names. The other parables don't offer names. They are given the detail of other things. But in this particular word, the details are very explicit. A man named Lazarus, just to say that, is unique. And it leads us to the obvious conclusion that, speak, that Jesus is speaking about a real moment in time. Just for those who might not understand names, this Lazarus was a common name in that day. This is not the Lazarus who died and rose again when Jesus called him out of the grave. This Lazarus shares the same name, but he's not the brother of Mary and Martha. And in this moment when Jesus gives the name, the placement, the details, and then the absence of a parable, no description of a parable, no likenesses, we know that we have stepped into the realm of reality. The Lord will pull back the curtain ever so slightly to allow us to see into eternity, even for a moment. It's a glimpse. Jesus is showing that a man died. He is a beggar. His name is Lazarus. He's resting with the Lord. But he also shows a man who died and he's in torment in hell. A rich man. He had it all. Fine purple linen. Purple was very expensive. Lots of money. He ate very well. He was well known because he was wealthy. But the day came when he and the beggar, Lazarus, both died. The beggar, Lazarus, who groaned for crumbs, who sat at the gate. Lazarus goes to rest in what Jesus called Abraham's bosom. We don't really know what that means. Scholars can't pinpoint it, just accept that it's a place of rest. Maybe a sleeping place. It would correlate with what Paul said those that are asleep in Christ will God bring with him. While the rich man finds his place in hell, Lazarus finds his place of rest. In his own time, the rich man had a name, but in hell, there is no identification. You see, hell is a real place. And real people are going there. Jesus said so. Jesus said that those who are cursed shall be cast out. Those on his left hand, he said, cast, and I quote, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. John will write. In his revelation that at the beginning before time that the great dragon was cast out. The old serpent called the devil. He was called Satan. He deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Hell, ladies and gentlemen, is real. It's not a cartoonish place where people talk and party and have fun times. There is no laughter or joy there. And you can think of it as unreal or imaginary if you wish. But the Bible declares that it is a place of eternal punishment and torment. Today, and I barely pay attention, almost not too much, just barely pay attention. I'm surely not engrossed because I don't care too much about minimal fame or someone's 15 minutes of fame. But I'm hearing a resurgence of the dismissal of hell as if it doesn't exist. More joking more common. Today, it comes in many forms. And in one of those forms, it comes from a song written a long time ago by one of the Beatles. His name was John Lennon. It's a song that has today become a modern-day anthem. Lennon wrote the song, and he entitled it Imagine. He writes, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Hey, hey, hey. imagine there's no countries. This isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. The anthem is melodic. Its chord structures are clean, pure. It's an enduring song. It's beautiful in melody. It's garnished the attention of singers who have no relationship with the writer. They don't even know his name. Artists from all sorts of genres and backgrounds are singing it now. Talent shows are hosting American Idol and America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent. All other events have brought it back. The finest voices in the world are singing it with passion. In some instances, there are clips of people crying to the song. There's audiences raising their hands and waving back and forth as if it's a worship song. Imagine there's no heaven and no hell. Imagine there's no... Religion, and we're waving our hands. Imagine as just today, just humanity, just live your life. But the sad truth is that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And in hell, just as the rich man has awareness of what he did in life, so to the horrible end of John Lennon, If he did not repent and turn his life to God, he will recount the lyrics written by his own hand as he spends eternity considering the place that he said that did not exist. He'll live in the place that he said did not exist. And hell will give him no thought. He was just a tool for a time. Satan Did not have to offer confusion to him and lead him away from the truth to snare him. But it is the design of the devil, the dragon, to deceive us and you. To think there's no hell and that it's not so bad even if you go there. But I stand to say tonight, there is something that we've got to consider. I'll answer the question, what is better than hell? And I say, anything is better than going to hell. And I ask the question. Because Jesus said it like this and I quote he said if thy right if thy hand offend thee cut it off It's better for thee to enter into life maimed Than having two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched He was not telling you to be to be sadistic and actually cut your hand off He was trying to give you an example. It's better that you suffer pain and and go to heaven And then he said Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That cuts to the core of the hearer. And then he went on, he didn't stop there. He said, if your foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Watch it, he doesn't stop. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Anything and everything would be better than going to hell I'll tell you what's better than hell anything is better than going to hell hell is suffering it's forever suffering it's a place where sinners go Revelation 21 but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable murderers whoremongers sorcerers idolaters all liars shall have their place at their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death I'll read it in another version the unbelieving the vile the murderers sexually immoral those who practice magic arts the idolaters all liars their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death what is better than hell anything is better than going to hell I hope you are never offended in this house I pray I never offend you I'm not trying to offend anybody I hope no one else offends you but do not give up the truth about the name of Jesus and baptism if you've been offended and don't give up godliness just because somebody was ugly to you and don't give up your devotion to the revelation the Holy Ghost or the mighty God in Christ it'd be better for you to be offended and go to heaven than for you to turn your back on God and go to hell. Here, Pastor, it'd be better for you to be cursed and go to heaven and have your feelings hurt and be cut to the core than to make your point and walk out and go to hell. It would be better for you to be poor all your life and have no money and wonder why everybody else has money but keep a good spirit than for you to chase down the almighty dollar and lose your soul and spend every weekend trying to make more money and every Sunday trying to make more money and every Wednesday trying to make more money and never going to the prayer room because you got another job and you got more things you got to do it'd be better for you to be poor you're not going to take anything with you to heaven I don't care how many 401k's you got, how many IRA's you have, how many gold coins or silver American dollars that you have. You're not going to take any of that. All oh, of that is going to rust and fade away. The only thing you're ever going to preserve is your eternal soul. Your body will die, but your soul's going to live forever. You will be aware of everything just like you are right now forever and ever and ever. Your soul will never, ever die. Your flesh will rot away. Your body will fail you. But your soul will never die. Even people who get into their later stages of life and may have Alzheimer's or dementia, that's only for a moment. But their soul is well aware of what is going on. They may not be able to talk to you, but your soul is a consciousness that will never die. And I say again in this life think of it he's telling us something the rich man can see it the rich man can understand it, he's aware he sees the place of rest over there where Lazarus is but Lazarus has no knowledge of the rich man Those in hell can see beyond it. That's a torment all by itself. But those over there can't see below. If I could say it that way. Let me just tell you, in this life, the rich man had a name because rich people have names. Everybody knows the rich man. But in hell, you lose your identity. In this life, the beggar is not known, but in heaven he's got a name. And in this life, the rich man cares only about himself. I don't care about anybody else. I care about me. What about my feelings? What about my life? What about me? But in hell, he becomes the greatest soul winner ever known. He says, tell my brothers. He wants to come back just to keep people from going where he is. Let me go back. Father, I have a family, my brothers. I've got several brothers. The rich man's crying out like a powerful preacher, like me here tonight. He becomes a powerful preacher. They cannot come here. Let me go. But God says, "You can't go to them." Here's Luke sixteen twenty-six. There's a great gulf fixed between us. No one can pass from this side to the other side. Can't come and go. The rich man said to God in verse twenty-seven, "I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send the Lazarus, send somebody to my father's house, for I have five brothers." Let him testify to them so they don't come to this place of torment in hell. All the things the rich man rejected in his life. All the things the rich man rejected in his life became his only desire in hell. He had eyes. He could see. He had a tongue. He could taste. He had a body. He could feel. But the Bible says that hell is a place where the worm doesn't die. Worm. Hell is a place where the body is alive. But constantly decaying. Worms which are seen. Crawling in dead matter. Are in fact maggots. Or the larvae of flies. When a human being or an animal dies. The body emits a foul smell and odor. Due to the putrefaction. This, 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 this decaying of the tissue. And flies are attracted to the smell. and They show up. Scientists say within two or three hours, the flies will show up immediately. They have a sense of smell. Twelve hours later, the body will be more or less engulfed with flies. Soon after, the body is covered by tiny white dots, which are nothing more than the eggs laid by flies. And then the worm, the worm is born. And the worm starts to eat away the flesh. There's a constant decaying in hell. The body of a person who goes to hell Suffers the constant decay. The worm does not die there. And not only that. But Jesus said that the fire never goes out. Jesus said it. Not an apostle. Not another prophet. Not a modern day preacher. Not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Jesus said it. Suffering. Here pastor. Suffering. Suffering. I hear people talk about suffering today. Not the world, but the church. Suffering. I've suffered. Somebody has hurt my feelings. Someone has offended me. Hear me. No matter how painful that might be. And I'm not discounting it. Hear me. Your suffering and your faithfulness is better than hell. If it takes suffering, it's still better than eternity in hell. If you have suffered loss, don't yet let your loss turn into an abandonment of the house of God. Well, you don't understand, Pastor, I've had great loss. I know you've had great loss, but you got to come to church, and you got to worship God, and you got to go to the prayer room, and you can't make it by yourself, regardless of what you lose, even if it's the thing that you love the most. Don't leave God lost. And heaven is better than something that's kept, that keeps you out of church and out of heaven and out of the word and out of God. I say tonight, just as a reiteration of what Jesus said, it's better to be blind and go to heaven than can see and go to hell. It's better that you don't have your whole body functioning; you're lame and you never get over your back trouble, and you continually cry out to God than for you to be healed and be whole and go to hell. It's better for you to remain hungry and thirsty and destitute and poor and uh uh-oh friendless than for you to miss the rapture listen i don't want to categorize it because all of it is garbage but just for a moment would you indulge me the trivial things that keep people out of church It's nonsense. Somebody didn't talk to me. I just don't feel included. You get in church and if you come in and nobody ever says a word to you, you get in here and praise God and love God. And if no one ever says boo or hi or no one cares, you come to church and love God because it's better to be here and have everyone ignore you than to be out there and have everyone love you. Friends, is that what keeps you in the church? Friends, please tell me. Friends are not going to keep you devoted to the word of God. Friends, that's going to keep you in the word. Friends, that's going to keep you at the altar. If nobody is your friend... Hear me young people, it's better that everybody mocks you, no one talks about you, but you are worshiping God. But you are in the North Campus loving God, that you are praising the Lord. If nobody ever does, you go to heaven, but you don't ever leave the church and leave the word and leave the doctrine. Anything is better than going to hell. I wish somebody believed that in this house we gotta get there. We're going there. We've gotta go somewhere. Do you know that people have traded sound doctrine just to be included? You know, people have left the confines of the Bible just to fit in with the people at their job and their careers. But the Lord made it clear it would be better not to have all those things and make it to heaven than to have everything in the world, fame, money, things, possessions, power, and go to hell. Jesus did not just give his disciples a vision of heaven. He also gave them a glimpse of hell. And all he gave us a glimpse of hell, also us. But as we move along in our permissive Christianity There is a minimization of hell's fire. It sounds more like just a hot place, a desert land where people talk and they have communications and the cartoons come and then Hollywood gives you a little little glimpse of that and desensitizes your spirit to all the things in the Bible and shows and sitcoms and... Nightly programs and movies and internet and YouTube and all of that comes and they just kind of, they permit, promote the devil and the devil looks good and the devil is nice to some people. It's kind of a fantasy land, I know. But people get inundated with it until they don't really believe that it's a terrible place. I'm going to tell you, it's a terrible place. Hear the pastor tonight. Hear their pastor tonight. You don't want to go to hell. The Bible says the fire never goes out. Hell's fire can't be put out. There's eternal darkness too. There's a gnashing of the teeth, the constant grinding of the teeth. It's a place of misery and torment. There's no peace because God, the omnipresent God, is not there, the only place where he won't be. And until you understand heaven and hell, at least with as much comprehension as we can, then you won't have a love to be in heaven or a fear to be in hell. Hear me tonight. You ought to be very afraid. Hell is not a holding place. It's forever. It's not a place designed for us. It was made for the devil and his angels. But all sinners are going there. I wish that no one was ever done dirty or done wrong. But nothing is worth losing your soul over. I sink to really low depths. If someone spits in your face calls you a horrible name, or accuses you falsely. Don't give up the truth, the church, or the Lord. If you allow your heart to become corrupted, you're making one step toward a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire doesn't go out. Yes, I wish there were no problems in life. I wish that I had never caused a problem. But for eternity's sake, don't commit a sin and lose your soul over anything. Sexual sins will destroy you and they'll destroy other people. Don't lose your soul over sexual sins. It's not worth it. It's better. Hear me men, it's better for you to lose everything and be saved than to gain everything and find your place your your place in darkness. And in flames and in torment for the rest of your life. For the rest of eternity. Consider the word tonight. Even worse are all of even worse than, than all of that is the body of Jesus Christ. Even worse is the whole group of people here and abroad who have heard the word of God. People who have danced before the Lord, sang the songs that we just got done singing, worshiped and clapped our hands and praised God. Those who have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection. Those of us who have been shown the scriptures which tell us they make us rise into salvation. We know it. We love it. We live it. We're here in this house tonight giving praise to the Lord, loving Him, seeking Him. We're doing our best to live for God. We're doing our very best. We may not be perfect, but we're trying. I'm not saying anybody here is perfect, but we're trying to live for God. No matter what anybody does, we're trying to live for God. That's why we show up on Sunday night, because we're trying. But Peter stands up to say something very troubling. And I'm concerned that so many Christians have never read these words. But I read them to you tonight. Paul writes, Peter writes of believers who have once believed and now are backslid. That means they knew the truth, and then they left the truth. And I read it to you. They have left the straight way. They've wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But Balaam, he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Just like Balaam, those who have left this way, these men are springs without water. They look like they can help you, but they'll never help you. And missed... Driven by a storm just here, blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever he, whatever has mastered him. Verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then again are entangled in it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better, this is what the Bible says, for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. And I'm sorry this is graphic. Here's the word, of them the prophets are true, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. But that's what God thinks of those who found grace and turned away from it. I stand here tonight to tell you there's a spiritual battle taking place, and it's not over those who, not, it's not just over those who never knew his name. The battle is not just over those who have never found the Lord or the truth. It's a battle over those who have been baptized in the name of Jesus. Those who Paul was addressing when he told us to take up the whole arm of God. He said that you might quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Those words were directed toward the born-again believer because the battle for the souls of mankind is not just over the people in the world. It's not just over the millions and billions of people who never knew Jesus or cared for him or rejected him. It's also over those who once stood in this altar, knelt here, prayed, raised their hands, and then turned away. There's a battle over the souls of the elect of God, the sanctified, the righteous, the body. And I preach tonight, you don't want to go to hell. I'm going to tell you, one day after the rapture takes place, one day you will not be able to find room in this house. One day after the rapture, maybe perhaps a couple of hours after the rapture, there won't be room to stand or kneel in this house. Every door and every window will be broken down. Every backslider that once knew the Lord and they know that something has happened. And when the church is resurrected and taken away from this earth, we are the salt of the earth. When we are taken away, the whole world will begin to rot. We are preserving this earth. One day. One day later. They're going to be knocking. They're going to be calling. They're going to be crying millions and millions of believers will be caught up and they'll be gone. It's a worldwide conspiracy. Every network, every newspaper, every magazine will be talking about it. Where do the people go? Somebody will be driving a car and all of a sudden it will end up in the ditch and there'll be nobody inside. All of a sudden there'll be two men flying a plane and one man flying the plane is a born again believer and in a moment he'll be gone. He'll 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 be raptured from that plane all the graves of all the saints will come back together and in a moment and a twinkling of an eye there'll be a trumpet sound and the dead in christ are going to rise first and the church is going to get out of here one day later one day later you don't want to be here one day later all the economies are going to collapse one day later all the politicians are going to lose their mind one day later all the debauchery that we are holding back by just being here is going to be let loose and the devil is going to be loosed on this earth here pastor when i tell you right now and everybody who's ever heard the word is going to remember all the words and those that have been resurrected in a snap. They're not going to be able to see over that great gulf. But everyone who's left on the other side in torment is going to look over and see the resting place and the joy. And the torment of hell is the knowledge. I didn't have to be here. I knew the word. I heard Pastor preach one night. I was playing around, I was goofing off. I didn't think it was that important. He beckoned me, I didn't hear the trumpet sound. I came, but it was too late. Hear me. Do not believe the lie of people who profit over false doctrine. If you're left behind, you're left for good. The left behind series is a lie. You're not getting a second chance at the the second coming. That's a lie. That's given people false hope to think they can live in the world and in lust and sin. But it's okay, I'll take the next trip. There's no next trip. There's one shout, there's one trumpet. And the last thing you want to do, hear me, hear Pastor, the last thing you want to do is to miss the rapture. Every person who comes to me and they say, You don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand what's happened to me in my gut. I don't know why, but I I can't tell him. I wanna tell him, but in my cut, in my heart, I wanna say, you mean you're gonna miss the rapture over that? Over that? you know how big this is Pastor. you don't understand how, how how horrible it was no you don't understand how terrible hell is and how eternity how long eternity and the worm is never going to die and the fire is never going to go out and your teeth are going to cry and there'll be no peace and no comfort and there's no way out so I'm tell me This is shocking to us. I can even see it on many of your faces. You're uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable. I understand. It's shocking. I'll tell you why. Because we've been inundated with charlatans and pulpiteers who preach for money. They don't want to offend anybody. So the modern day Christian church never hears about the torment of hell. I'm not a big guy. I'm not trying to be special. But if you lived 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you would know hell is real. Hear me, hear me, young people. Hear me, hear me, young man, young lady. Do you think that God can't see what you're doing? Hear me, father and mother. Do you think God doesn't know what you're playing around with, what you're doing in your life? You think that God doesn't know? Hear me, the Lord knows. I'm not judging you to get to heaven or hell. I can't put you in either place because I'm not the judge and I don't, seat on, I don't sit on the judgment seat. But the Lord does. And if you want to please anybody, you better please God. Please Him because He's the judge. One old preacher wrote, he said that a firefighter who knows of the fire but will not tell those inside the house that it is burning, he is worth nothing and he is a detriment to his profession. He wrote and a doctor who has a cure but will not share it while people die of disease. He is a detriment to his profession and he should be ashamed and removed. And then he wrote and a preacher who never preaches about hell ought to close his Bible and go home and find another profession because he is a detriment to the people that are hearing him preach. So I stand and I say to all of you tonight there is a heaven and there is a hell and you want to be in hell. And anything is better than going to hell. Hey! I gotta get to heaven. I cannot afford to miss the rapture. It's gonna happen. Keep standing now. Here, pastor, be poor. If you can never get ahead, be poor. But go to heaven. I hope you get a better job. I hope you make a little bit more money than you spend. I hope you can advance. But don't miss the rapture. I hear this nonsense by people. Well, the Bible says that if I don't provide for my family, I'm worse than an infidel. As if... You can use the scripture to refute the scripture. That's nonsense and you don't even know what you're talking about. You provide for your family with some food and some cheese, a little bread and some peanut butter. That's providing for your family. Not a new car, not a four-wheeler, not a vacation, not a trip to the Ozarks. You provide for your family by giving them some food and some bread and some drink and some shelter and some clothes. After that... Well, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand. I, I do understand. I understand your soul's in jeopardy. I understand you made a you made a, a compromise. You said, "Well, I I I like to have nice things." I'm gonna tell you what: nice things are going to drown you. And a million people have been drowned by the very things they pursued all their life. The thing that you've been fighting for, wanting for, it's weighing you down. you don't understand pastor where I come from really let me introduce you to the blood of Jesus I hope you get help, but if you struggle with that yuck all your life, you thank God that you found the blood, you found the cross, you might be struggling and a battling the rest of your days, I hope you're not, but if you do, you struggle, and then the last day when the trumpet sounds, and you step off into another realm, and you put your feet on transparent streets of gold, you won't struggle anymore, but at least you found a way! Watch it now! Watch I've had people say to me, Well, you see, when I go to this place they give me comfort and help me. Yeah, but they they teach false doctrine. Yeah. They they teach false doctrine. What are you talking about? That's false doctrine. You know better than it. Yeah, I know, but I feel included. Really? Yeah, they're helping me get through some things. Just for a moment, just for a time. i got to do this just for a time. Oh, really? So you've got to put your effort and energy into false doctrine because, because this church doesn't have the means to help you. Okay, maybe we don't know how to help everybody. I confess. <laughs> I don't know how to help everybody, but I'm preaching the word. <laughs> And if the words not enough We'll try to get an answer We'll try to help people who have been abused In their childhood And misused And horrible things We'll try to have somebody help you But for God's sake For eternity's sake Don't miss the rapture And don't stop coming to church And don't, don't stop worshiping Keep coming Keep loving Keep praising Keep shouting Keep dancing Anything's better than going to hell On the organ, <laughs> Yada, Baha, Chada, Baha. Watch Pastor here. From the national statistics and the Gallup poll about churches. All churches. of men in all churches, at least that's the bottom number, are entangled with pornography. Ages 12 to 15, that number jumps over 60%, struggling with pornography. For every 1,000 people in any one place, there's a growing percentage of people, married couples, having affairs, And hasn't yet been discovered. That's all churches. All churches. In fact, some of the researchers have a tough time with this because they don't really know. But they do say those who come to church and leave the church, whatever denomination is, there's a growing percentage of churches that are closing because people no longer believe in the Bible. They don't believe in eternity. And so they're leaving. In fact, some of those numbers are astounding to us. And even for those people who just think that if you just accept the Lord, even those would say the better part of, part of, these statistics are a little bit all over the board, but somewhere between 20 and 40% of people backslide in all these churches. I would just say, you've heard the truth. But according to those stats, people that are listening to me right now, if the Lord tarries 10 years from now, there's a great percentage of people who will not be saved in this house right here. Somebody in this house, going to, you're going to hear me, but you're going to be lost because something's coming up in your life. You don't know it yet. It's coming up. It's going to hurt your feelings. It's going to mess with your mind. You're going to get entangled. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to be an obstacle. You're having a tough time getting over. In fact, you won't get over it. You won't get through it. And you'll abandon the very, the very gospel and the truth that you've been given. And you'll leave this place. And you'll forget exactly what I'm saying right now. and when you forget, you'll get bitter, and then you'll start talking about the very place, and you'll pick out people who are hypocrites, and there are hypocrites, but I want all the hypocrites to come to church. Raise your hand if you're a hypocrite. Paul said he was. Everything I wanted to do, I didn't do, everything I didn't want to do, that's what I did. That's OK. That's another sermon. A bunch of hypocrites. Uh-huh? and they'll point out hypocrites and say well that church and then they'll, then they'll generalize everybody and say well they're all just bad and then they'll wonder why they ever came in the first place and then they'll forget and then they'll raise children who never knew anything about the apostolic doctrine and they're surprised to hear about Pentecost or even speaking in other tongues and they'll be on their way fast track to the lake of fire when tonight, you could have stopped everything and said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do right now. I'm gonna make my calling election sure. I'm not leaving this house, nobody can chase me out. I'm gonna hold on to the truth. <laughs> you better say it, you better love it, you better teach it, you better live it, you better eat this book, you better devour the word every day. You cannot afford to be lost, and anything is better than going to hell. Watch me. Watch me, Sherilyn. You're a beautiful young lady. I'm a big fan of you. When you're worshiping, I'm a big fan of you. You are a sweet, smart. You've got all the talents, Sherilyn. You've got a great mom and dad. You've got a great grandma and grandpa. You've got a great heritage lineage. I hope there's a guy worthy enough for you. Probably not. If I ask your dad there's nobody I'm sure your dad's going to build a house and have a room for you to live in for the rest of your life that's just the kind of guy he is he don't ever want you to move out your brother yes get out you stay forever watch Pastor Sherilyn I'm, I'm going to talk to you it'd be better honey for you to stay single until the day you die than to marry someone who doesn't love the Lord. Hear me, young men. Hear me, people. Don't get all cut up in dating and trying to have somebody. Try to find someone who loves God. In fact, if you'll just forget about all of them, find Jesus and the truth and the doctrine. I'm preaching to you now. Because, Brother John, there's sickness on you now. And you're struggling through it. But no matter what happens, hear me, Mother. you got to hold on to what God gave you. Let me tell you something. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it worketh for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight in glory. Whatever your affliction is, I want to tell you right now, it's a light affliction compared to the glory that's coming in your life. It's a momentary thing because one of these days, the eastern gate is going to break open and the eastern sky is going to open up and the Lord's going to put his foot down on the same place that he left and he's going to resurrect and call all the saints home and the dead and the living and everybody is going to get out of here. I'm provoking you here tonight. I'm provoking you. Be saved. I don't want to miss the rapture. So I'm just asking you to respond in whatever way you respond. And just say, Lord, I don't want to miss the rapture. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to put away the old things. I'm going to bury everything under the blood. Somebody needs to come to this altar and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And say, Lord, forgive me. Purge me. Make me clean. Make me new. I don't care if anybody sees me. I'm not here for anybody else. I'm here to make my calling and my election sure. your voice, saints of God. Cry out to God with your own voice. Cry out. Say it to the Lord. I want to be saints, Save me. Save me. Save <laughs> me. I don't want you to feel condemned. I want you to feel the urgency. i got to be saved. I've got to be saved. I must be saved. I cannot quit now. I'm not going to back up now. I've got to be sa- I've got to have the, the Lord in my life.